Binance, accused of commingling customer funds. I'm sure CZ would call this FUD. Bankless Nation, it is the fourth Friday of May, the last Friday of May. David, what time is it? It's the Bankless Friday Weekly Rollup, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is actually not that ambitious this week. I would actually call this a slow week, which really slow I don't week? think I've ever said slow that week before. In news? Slow week in news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why we but, have some weird takes in the take section. Yeah. We're that's why the takes get kind of weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's just a sleepy market, maybe. I mean, we called this yeah. the bore market before. Is that is that what we're in for? The, more the bore market? Yeah, it's going to be a boring roll-up, David. Is that <laughs> what you're be a boring <laughs> No, it's going to be extremely <laughs> exciting. Stay tuned for every single second of it and don't go away. <laughs> well, let's talk about the topics of the week. So continuation of Ledger, Ledger Recover. They're actually capitulating on that. They're mm-hmm. postponing it. So we'll talk about that. What else we got? Uh, DCG has missed its payment deadline to its own subsidiary Genesis. So we'll talk Ooh. about what that means. Yeah, they're not paying it. themselves. Yeah, they're not paying themselves. They did. They failed to pay themselves six hundred thirty million dollars. So what is okay. the fallout of that? We will we will cover that as well. Um, Tornado Cash. Did you hear about this? Right, Tornado Cash got hijacked. Uh, I a, did a, go- a governance attack over Tornado Cash. Uh, it's kind of funny just because like it's Tornado Cash. So like. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten hijacked from the nation state and now also it's <laughs> it two, two people are, are hijacking it. Uh, and then what else, what else are we going to talk about? We got this uh, Fed report that came out. Okay, the Federal Reserve. Did you know one in 10 Americans use cryptocurrency? Who's telling us that? The Fed. <laughs> we got to get into this report. It's, there's a ton of really cool stats coming out of that. And also Binance was accused this week of commingling customer funds and company revenue. Got some more info on Do Kwan as well. It's some of the bad boys of crypto finishing that up. So look, man, it's still a, it's, it's still, still a, a good roll up. Yeah, it's still a Let's, week. <laughs> Also, be my last roll up here in Montenegro, right? This will be the, oh. the very last one. Are you gonna miss it? So long, Montenegro. So long, Montenegro. Yeah. Uh, I will. I miss it. I have. Well, my experience here has been great. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> We've well, been uh, away from your home for like months now, yeah, right? Eight this weeks. Month two. Eight weeks. Yeah. That's the longest I've been away from worth. home since college. I only measure time in roll-ups. Uh, there's 52 roll-ups a year. David's been gone in Montenegro for eight roll-ups. <laughs> You're coming home. The next roll-up in New York City. That's uh, mm-hmm. very exciting. There's going to be some good old brick in the background. Anyways, uh, got to talk to our friends and sponsors at Consensus who want to let you know that there is this new tool out on the market called Diligence Fuzzing to level up your smart contract security. Uh, so this is a tool in addition to your regular security audit audits. Uh, fuzzing is a tool that developers who this ad is targeted towards would probably already know about. You throw a bunch of numbers at your parameters and if any uh, number comes back and it's a bad number, diligence fuzzing from consensus will figure that out for you. Uh, so there is a link in the, in the show notes to go get your contracts fuzzed. David, I'm, I'm sure all the devs really enjoyed that super technical description of what fuzzing because is. Because they totally need it. <laughs> but do you know what? It was not inaccurate. I think that's yeah. exactly what fuzzing actually is. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a, a free tool from Consensus. I hope more Solidity devs take fuzzing seriously because uh, we can have... It's a very have, serious subject. We can, yeah, we can't have more smart contract hacks, okay? Not in 2023. DeFi mm-hmm. can't take another hit like this. <laughs> We've been down bad, guys. Let's fuzz all our contracts so this doesn't happen. <laughs> All right, uh, get to the markets, shall we? Okay, Bitcoin price on the week. What are we looking at? Uh, we can count it as not a flat week if we really want to. Uh, Bitcoin want is down 1%. Better than flat. 
Start of the week at 26,600, ending of the week at 26,300. 26, okay. Um, below 30K still feels bearish to me, just like below 2K. ETH still feels bearish season. And this was um, Bitcoin Miami was last week. Yes. Was it, wait, was it last week or did it just it, finish this week? It was last weekend, yeah. Uh-huh. This is a time to really rally the troops, isn't it? I mean, haven't we seen previously Bitcoin Miami weeks a little bit of a, a push up, a little bit of a spike? Or is that just all chart noise? Am I making things up? I think last year it dumped. Yeah, uh, conferences oh, really? tend to dump. ETH conferences, God, Bitcoin stop. conferences. I, I, it's a pattern. They, that people has, get together and they get like they're like, oh man, this is who I'm surrounded with. No, we, no, we just we just throw super dumb, exorbitant parties, and we have to sell our assets to pay for them. Oh, you think that's it? I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, all, all, the, all these events that all the VCs throw. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Bitcoin Miami. I um. Didn't hear much about it. The only thing I heard was kind of the the contention mm-hmm. and the conflict between the ordinals, the taproot wizards, mm-hmm. uh, or something, and the uh, the laser eyes, which is is sort of the the subtribes of this. If you're in right. Bitcoiner circles, we had some. But I think the, that's also mostly online too. Yeah, I think More that's than totally it is at online. The actual conference, yeah. Huh. It was okay. it, there was no the the things I heard from the Bitcoin conference was that uh, Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer is going up against the Cyber Hornets. Which was mostly an online phenomenon, and then also Ron DeSantis's. Uh, no, wait, ah. no, uh, not Ron DeSantis. Um, uh, who's the Who's the Kennedy, Kennedy. Robert Kennedy speech? Yeah, Robert those Kennedy. are the two things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and yeah, we're going to talk about Ron DeSantis a little bit later. It seems like yeah. there's a little bit of red versus blue on the yeah. uh, the crypto thing. It's becoming more partisan, but that's not in the market section. Yeah, we got to do we're some more numbers. Uh, All right. ETH. ETH price. Sadly, I would count this as flat. We started the week at 18 and 10, 18, 10, ending the week at 1750. We're down 0.8%. Mm. Okay. Sorry, Ryan. It's flat. Ratio time. Ratio time. Is that flat too? It's up a little bit. Up a tiny little bit. It's you know flat. what? Any flat week, I'm going to be sad from now on because I just like, so boring. <laughs> would you prefer ap- down? Apathy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Make up your mind, market. We going up or down? Stop with this tepid. Do something. I'm Luke bored. Water. I can't stand it. Spew it out of my mouth. Um, thanks okay, to the but, charts, Okay, something always. that is still up only is ETH staking. Uh, oh. So Lido had, now Now that Lido, the largest uh, decentralized staking as a service protocol, uh, has withdrawn, enabled withdrawals, we are able to see the final uh, org that, of ETH staking uh, open up its gate to withdrawals. Uh, and so now this is like, Complete. There's no one left to enable withdrawals. Yet okay. we are at all-time high of staked ETH. Twenty-one million. We crossed twenty million staked ETH this uh, this last week. Uh, so the acceleration of further ETH stake into the Beacon Chain uh, continues. Has continued uh, to accelerate. There's we skipped a two here, million David. ether. Not two million dollars of. There are two million ether units waiting to get. Uh, into the beacon chain in the validation queue. The, it would take you, Ryan, if you deposited 32 ether to get to be a staker, it would take you almost 1,000 hours. I don't even know how many days that is. 967 hours to get into the beacon chain. How many rollups is that? 967. Uh, about four rollups. Because <laughs> these things are forever. Because we keep wow. on doing these rants. Uh, yeah. 40 days. It would take you 40 days to get into the beacon chain. That's a long time. I mean, 40 days. Yeah. Jeez, that's a that's a lifetime almost. Yeah, it would um, take you two minutes to exit. So how are people getting in? They just wait, I guess. They have to be patient. Or you could just buy staked ETH. I bet you there's a premium on staked ETH right now. 
when does it stop, David? Mm-hmm. We're going to go from 20 to 22 to 25 to 30, 30 million to f- that's when it stops. Million. That's, Isn't that's this what uh, Justin Drake said recently. He's like, yeah. I think it'll probably be like 30 million ish. Yeah. Yeah. Where we stop, you know, plus or minus 15%, something the like momentum that. momentum is very strong. The fact that we are like doubling the rate of growth post withdrawals is awesome. It's, it's awesome. going to stop. This is not an up only chart, though. Stop. There is well, some equilibrium. Yeah. This is some equilibrium that, that will be reached. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, we don't want to see this chart go up only, but for now, it's good. Good news for mm-hmm. now. Uh, yeah, you know, we skipped a number, David. Uh, crypto oh. market cap 1.15 oh. trillion. There, Thank I said you. it All for right. completeness. Uh, what chart are we looking at with Lido? Yeah, so this Here. is Lido withdrawals after one week. Okay, so yes. a whopping 450,000 Ether got Oof. withdrawn from Lido. And I'm saying Ow. whopping jokingly because uh, do you know how much Ether is actually in Lido, Ryan? Um, of 20 million? Yeah. 21 million Ether? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to say, was Lido have like 30% of that? Something there. close. Yeah. You're, not, you're on target. Six, seven million, something like Six, this. Wow, nice job. 6.7 yeah. million is hey. uh, how much Ether <laughs> is uh, deposited in Slido. So 530, excuse me, 470,000 Ether got withdrawn. 430,000 of that was Celsius. 40,000 Ether was withdrawn just by like general users. Oh, so, Celsius. I remember those guys. Yeah, <laughs> what are they doing uh-huh. with it? Paying down some uh, debts I, there? I think, yeah, I think they're selling Refunding it. some depositors? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah they're liquidating so. it. Yeah, so uh, Lido, I would say has held up in terms of the snow globe effect. I mean, yeah. they lost they lost half a million Ether of their 6.6 million, and most of that was uh, Celsius. Yeah. This, Rocket Pool uh, took the largest share of 7,700 Ether, not that much. Uh, yeah, not that much. What, so what, what is happening with all the, this Lido? It's not being restaked. It's just going back to kind of Celsius. Uh, yes. debt holders, I don't know. I guess, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming whoever is doing the Celsius bankruptcy is liquidating the ether. They're selling it for dollars, right? Yeah. I, I don't I would know. assume I, I'm a, by the way, some of this ETH is probably mine. Yeah, Tiny so fraction. Yeah, Remember I had money banks. in Celsius? I love <laughs> banks. I love them. <laughs> Um, looking forward to never getting that back. Um, <laughs> okay, they're going to sell your ether for you and give you back USDC. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, to Celsius, this is probably the best, the most rational place they actually stored their ETH. Yeah. Because they put it in all sorts of other. Yeah, they bought they bought a Bitcoin crap. mining operation. It is the <laughs> stupidest thing to do with customer funds. <laughs> Oh man, those were the days. I hope we never do that again. Oh, well, like crypto in general. Knock on wood, please. Okay. Um, let's talk about the bigger picture markets, all right? Because the R word, that is recession, was bandied about this week in Germany. A German uh, economy entered recession as inflation hurts consumers. That is the title here. So the German economy is officially in recession under the uh, economist definition of that word, which is multiple quarters of negative GDP. So we're there yet. We're there already in Germany. I get. Is this only a matter of time before recession sweeps through other areas of Europe, comes to the United States? Uh, do you have any takes on that, David? I, well, I think the people paying attention to macro all understood that recession is coming globally. It's just a matter of how fast and how hard and for how long. Um, the idea of being announced that we are entering a recession kind of just seems illogical. It's like, 
to a market downturn, like I get by we need a we need an arbitrary definition of what a recession is, so in order to be able to announce that we are in one. Um, but yes, we are having entering a phase of slower growth. Well, there we are, slower growth, and this is not just slower growth; it's negative growth. That is the uh, right. the economist yes. definition of recession. Right. Meanwhile, this to me was the chart of the week. This is uh, from Genevieve. Uh, a chart on buying versus renting in America. And there's two lines on this chart all the way from the 1970s. This uh, yellow line is the cost to buy in terms of monthly fees. Mm -hmm. How much does it cost if you are uh, in a house, let's say, or in an apartment and uh, you own that piece of property versus the cost to rent? That is this blue, I guess, turquoise type line here. Mm. And it's interesting how they're kind of the, the the lines are sort of correlated in that they they go up together, right. but there are these periods of time where the cost to buy far outstrips the cost to rent, and I think these periods of time sort of resemble um, bubbles, housing price bubbles, for right. for example. So we we see this one in uh, two thousand six. That's where the yellow line shoots far above the blue line. So the cost uh, to buy is much more expensive than the cost to rent. Now look at things today, David, right. and this it's happened big. since COVID. We've got a yellow line that has far outstripped the uh, the blue line. That means the cost to buy right now, um, $2,700 per month is um, the, the average cost if per, per month for a mortgage versus the cost to rent is $1,850. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? I mean, to me, this just looks like asset price inflation particularly in the housing market, particularly in the property market. And I know this is hitting uh, younger people disproportionately. People are in their 20s, in their early 30s, never purchased any property, never bought a home. And they're like, I never will be able to do this thing. And you're asking for 10% down, 20% down in order for me to also buy this property. I can't afford it. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to be renting for the rest of my life. That's how it seems to many people in the economy. And I think this has a psychological impact too. Do you have any thoughts on this chart? Yeah, it's hard for, for podcast listeners to, I think, really appreciate this visual. The So, like, the cost-to-buy line deviated away from the cost-to-rent line, like, three times in this chart. Once in the 1980s during uh, the mortgage rate inflation of the early 1980s, then a second time in the housing bubble of 2006, and now a third time. And this third time, the most recent time where we are now, is, like, three times higher than the other two bubbles. The other two bubbles are about the same size. This one's, still like, three times higher. The other thing that's important to note is that even though this cost to buy is accelerating way beyond the cost to rent, the cost to rent is also at an accelerating rate too. Both are up. And so it just is a graph of like, man, the cost of living sucks right now. It is hard to be alive. Being alive is expensive. It's getting more and more expensive and wages aren't uh, rising commensurate as well. Also this week, David, one of the most interesting reports I've seen in a while came out, and you actually put this to the agenda, so why don't you introduce mm-hmm. this? Did you know, bankless listener, that one in 10 Americans uses cryptocurrency, either holds or transacts in cryptocurrency? Was that report put out by Coinbase, by Kraken, by, um, I don't know, the Ethereum Foundation? No, the Federal Reserve. This is a report <laughs> from the Federal Reserve. David, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so we're looking at a graph of just different um, metrics and, and stats about the American population and their relationship with crypto. So here are some important stats. Uh, in 2021, this used to be 12%. 12% of people use crypto in any single way. In, 20, uh, in 2023, now we are down, or 2022, we're down to 10%. So we lost 2% of all Americans, which actually is not so bad. Like in the bear market, like we got, most people are sticking around. 
Uh, and then, then there was another poll, why are people using crypto? Uh, 21% both said to send money faster and also because the business or person preferred it. Uh, 20% of people said because of privacy. Uh, some other interesting stats, white US citizens actually are the least likely to be crypto users. Uh, so black, Hispanic, Asian, all coming in with much stronger numbers than, than white people, which is interesting. Um, males use crypto twice as much as females. Uh, no, that's not a surprise whatsoever. Um, but I think the punchline is really what you said. Uh, one in 10, one in 10 Americans. That's actually huge. And by the way, when they track usage, this was surprising to me. So um, uh, as you would expect, the predominant use case is bought or held as an investment. And that was 11% in 2021. It's 8% now. So that's decreased. Um, but the other use case is used to buy something or make a payment. That's 2%. Not insignificant. 2% of Americans are using this to buy or make a payment or sending money to friends or family. And that has not decreased in 2022, which is very interesting. But if you're the Fed and you're looking at these numbers, David, and you're like, oh, interesting. And by the way, this report was not a report on crypto. The report is economic well-being of US house households in 2022. Mm -hmm. And they have to include crypto now. Why? Because it's tied into economic well-being. It's tied into payments. It's tied into assets. And if you're the Fed and you're you're looking at this report, you're looking at the numbers, and you're like, oh, wow, 10%, one in 10 Americans are using crypto. This is no longer an insignificant portion of the population that is using an alternative to the banking system that you set up and propagate. No wonder this is starting to enter um, national discourse and political discourse. Like it's an important issue. When you have 10% of Americans using something other than the US banking system, I think the banks, of which the most prominent is the Fed, the central banker of central bankers have to take notice. And that's what they're doing here. Yeah, there, and there's also important to note, the investment use case is outstripping the utility use case. And that's natural, right? The reason why there's more investors is because investors try and predict the future. And so uh, actual utility of these things is going to lag at investors. Here in Montenegro, in this like crypto community that I've been living with in the last two years, there's a people from Africa, uh, crypto people from Africa. And the users of crypto in Africa, like 2% in America? No, 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 no. Like 20, 30% in Are Africa. Are you kidding me? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it makes sense, like in crypto, where we're well financialized and well banked that like, oh yeah, only 2%. But like uh, entire continents where we don't really consider, like talk about, like we don't talk about utility in Africa because it's not like in, in the moment of crypto Twitter, like crypto Twitter doesn't really care about that. But like utility is off the charts. Uh, and usage is off the charts. Uh, and so only in America, I think, do you see investors um, actually like tripling the rate of actual users. And you, you can David, actually see this in the stats. So. Uh, and by the way, David, did you know that Bankless is the number one podcast in Tunisia right now? I just number saw Number one podcast? Number, number one business and investing podcast. Or number one uh, podcast. Biz, number one business and investing. It might yeah. be across all categories too. Now, it's probably not across all categories. It's yeah. probably too much. That'd but like crazy. number one in business and investing. Um, yeah. I mean, Bankless has a pretty uh, pretty cool African community right mm -hmm. now. And there's, you know, mm -hmm. some, uh, there's like a Bankless Africa that's mm -hmm. really like taking this over. So mm -hmm. that is amazing to see. I mean, that is, at the end of the day, why we're here. It'd be really interesting to see a similar economic well-being report uh, in other emerging market areas as well and what the percentages mm -hmm. look like there. I haven't seen that yet.
Brian Armstrong had a take about this report, uh, and this is this report is coming in during the lack of scalability in the, in the crypto ecosystem. And so he tweets out, uh, early days, once layer two really gets going, it will be going like from dial up to broadband. Uh, so imagine how much utility we can get when we can get people onto a low fee environment. That's a take. great take. Great take. Something else that I feel like is uh, bullish for crypto is this whole AI thing. But um, before before we get to that story, can you tell us about NVIDIA? Shares spiked 26% on huge forecast beat driven by AI chip demand. Why'd you pull this into the market section today, David? Well, mainly because it's a slow week in crypto, Ryan. But also, I thought this was, <laughs> I thought this was particularly interesting anyways. Uh, okay, so NVIDIA reports $4.3 billion in sales versus expected $3.9. Uh, where did that come from? It come from demand for its GPU uh, chips from cloud vendors, as well as a very large consumer internet companies, which like to use NVIDIA trips to chain and deploy deploy generative AI applications like OpenAI's ChatGPT. So, okay, so AI is starting to impact equities, the demand for AI, growth of AI, specifically NVIDIA. The other important thing, Ryan, I think that was useful and the kind of the punchline of this thing. The market cap of NVIDIA as a company went from $755 billion to $973 billion in just in one day, this wow. last in the yesterday. It's almost a trillion. Um, basically a trillion dollar market cap. It grew one Ethereum in market cap. That's incredible. One Ethereum in one market Ethereum cap. So about $220 billion or something like that. Yeah. That's what Ethereum mm-hmm. is right now. Yeah. And... and- which is so dumb because like all of these AI things that like NVIDIA is going to help train and all the open chat GPT, like what money do you think these companies, these AI bots are going to use? They're going to, it's well, going to use ether. Well, I, I think, I think that's what the opportunity is here, right? Yes. So like um, NVIDIA sells GPUs and of course uh, AI models are massive consumers of GPUs. By the way, is the gamer community upset about this? I know they were mad at crypto mining for a while because we were uh, like, oh we're god, the, the poor gamers! The First, card. like all the Ethereum miners suck up all their chips, no, and then they're like, finally, the Ethereum went to proof of stake. It's been have, it's been five, eight years since, they, since my video I've been card. able to get a GPU, and then all yeah. of a sudden we have this AI revolution. It's like, oh no, this is going to be way more profitable than your game. Oh, poor gamers. Well, I think the tie-in here with crypto is um, block space really hasn't had its AI demand moment. Yeah. All right. GPUs have. We're starting to yeah. see it here. And look at this, a 26% increase in Ethereum, a $200 billion increase in a real-world stock price as a result. I think mm-hmm. once the AI start to demand block space, we're going to see something similar. And we're well, still a ways ahead of that. I feel like we're maybe a we couple a years, years ahead yeah. of that. But um, I think that is coming as well, and it will mirror what we're seeing in GPUs. David, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, Ledger postpones its Recover product. Ooh, why? How? Why did that happen? We'll talk about that. And also, Base coming to mainnet, Tornado Cash hijacked, Binance accused of commingling funds, Apple being friendly. Lots of more news to talk about in this weekly. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for 2023. If you not have an account with Kraken, consider signing up for one. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want 
want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Introducing ETHX from Stator. ETHX is a liquid staking token designed to maximize rewards all while securing Ethereum. With Stator, you can run an Ethereum node with just 4 ETH, which is 85% lower capital and 35% higher rewards versus solo staking. Stator has a multi-pool architecture with permissionless and permission node operators to enable decentralization and scalability. Stator has extensive experience in building liquid staking protocols on six proof-of-stake blockchains and is trusted by over 70,000 stakers. Stator has partnered with over 40 leading protocols to bring DeFi utility to their liquid staking tokens. Stator is actively building integrations across the Ethereum ecosystem to bring the same great DeFi utility to the EtherX token, with a million dollars of SD token rewards in DeFi for ETHX users. All of Stator's smart contracts are audited by at least two independent cybersecurity auditors and have multi-million dollar bug bounties currently live. So go to statorlabs.com ETH to sign up and get access to the Stator staking protocol. Arbitrum 1 is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum 1 and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. So after all of the Ledger controversy, Ledger has decided to delay the release of its Recover product. So why did they do this? They, they heard all of the community backlash. They say in this announcement, we'll release Ledger Recover product as soon as this firmware part of the code will be published. So this is a way for people to actually verify the firmware before people install it onto the Ledger to make sure that it only does the things that it will say that it does when people install it. Uh, Interesting take, interesting response. Uh, Ryan, uh, what do you think about this? I mean, my question is happy ending? Question mark? I guess, like, yeah. Is this kind of a happy ending? Mm -hmm. So um, if, if you guys missed the last two weeks of this, um, there's been this massive controversy over this product that Ledger added called Ledger Recover that essentially enables, with your permission, you have to click some buttons on your Ledger, but it enables uh, the firmware with a Ledger software update and an opt-in service called Recover. It allows them to basically take out your seed phrase, send it to multiple parties, uh, and uh, store it there so that recover users, Ledger recover users, which again is an opt-in service, but um, it you know still can be activated, uh, allows quicker recovery. And so, of course, like hardcore crypto users, um, anyone who cares very deeply about self-sovereignty and uh, keeping their their private keys and the, the, the thing that they were sold in the hardware wallet uh, was very concerned about that. It's like, what... This company can actually extract the seed phrase, my private keys, outside of the hardware wallet. Like, isn't this the purpose of the hardware wallet? And now, so here's Ledger. There was massive controversy last week, and it spilled certainly uh, over into this week. Now here's Ledger coming out and saying, hey, we're just going to delay that feature. Like, we got it wrong. And they're also saying that they're going to open source most of their operating system 
starting with Ledger Recover to make it fully auditable. I hope they open source the firmware as well, or as much of that as possible. I think this pressure, the, re the reason I said um, happy ending question mark is because it seems like this pressure is actually increasing the um, motivation for Ledger to open source elements of its tech stack. And I think that additional transparency and accountability is only a good thing for crypto and for this space. Without mm -hmm. this controversy, would that have happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, probably not. So maybe this is turning into a happy ending here. What do you think about that take? Yeah, what I learned from having Charles, the CTO of Ledger on the podcast, is that really there is no other way to have maximum, the, the assurances that the crypto industry wants from his hardware wallets. You can't have that unless all of the updates and all of the software part of the hardware wallet are open source and verifiable by the public. Um, without that, there's always going to be some trust. And the, Ledger has, always, has stated that this has always been a part of their roadmap. Uh, so this actually technically isn't new. Um, they're, the new thing is that they are saying that they are accelerating this and they are also not releasing the Recover product until they have completed some open source milestones as well. Um, so that's the news. I think that's good. Um, all right, David, we got uh, DCG missing a payment to themselves, I think. <laughs> Digital Currency Group, of course. What is, uh, what is, what's going on? What happened this mm -hmm. week? And why is this, uh, this subject relevant? So this goes back to the Genesis, Gemini Urn, Grace, Grayscale, and DCG like mess. Uh, and so Genesis had a balance, hole in its balance sheet because it had a bunch of money lent out to Three Arrows Capital who got liquidated. And then that led to the insolvency or the inability for Gemini Urn customers to get their money back. Uh, DCG filled the hole in Ge Genesis's uh, balance sheet by just writing them a loan. Uh, and so... DCG, but DCG needs, needed to make a payment to Genesis, uh, a $630 million loan to Genesis to fill the hole in the balance sheet. DCG did not pay that when that came due last week. Uh, and so what does this mean? Uh, this is ultimately going to, would be the money to go and pay back Gemini earned customers and anyone else who is a creditor of Genesis. Uh, and so Gemini, this is why this is a post on Gemini's website, is because this would also otherwise be their money. There's a handful of groups, the Unsecured Creditors Committee, the Ad Hoc Group of Creditors, and Gemini are considering whether to provide forbearance to DCG to avoid a DCG default forbearance, uh, I had to look this up, special agreement between a lender and a borrower to delay a foreclosure. Uh, and so uh, that is kind of the news this week. Uh, overall, um, I kind of was going through this news, Ryan. I was like, okay, other other than like uh, Gemini Earn customers who are waiting to get their money back, what does this have to do with, like how is this going to impact the crypto markets? And I'm kind of like, meh. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like all of this is known. Like we we know that DCG is not in good shape. Uh, we already know, there's there's not really new information here. Is this like some kind of slow motion bankruptcy of DCG, some sort bankruptcy. of slow motion insolvency yeah. that's yeah. what's going on. Mm -hmm. that, that was kind of my base prediction though, right? Like I, yep. I think that's what people expected would happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Guess what, David? I had some money in, in Gemini Earn as well. Because you so, love banks. That's, I why, love that's why you had money there. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not very much bankless listeners, but uh, I tried all of the things at one point in time. And uh, I think that's the big question is there's something like, $800 million, $900 million was in, in mm -hmm. uh, Gemini Earn. And this is retail money primarily. Mm -hmm. And the the 
the folks who have that money, had that money in Gemini Earn, are just wondering whether they're going to get it back. And I don't yeah. think that this story provides any closure to them. It's certainly not comforting to know that DCG didn't pay another $630 million on the scheduled time. So not great news from that perspective. Yeah, so if you guys want to dive down into this detail a little bit more, Rom, uh, former Bankless podcast guest, we've had him on recently twice now, uh, put a great Twitter thread together. I'll, I'll summarize it pretty quickly. Um, basically, he says, DCG needs forbearance. They missed the $630 million in payments. DCG does have great assets, but they have a financing problem. Bills are due today, but the cash flow that they have comes over the next few years. Also, there's this additional pressure coming from the inevitability of a Bitcoin ETF. A Bitcoin ETF will come, whether Gary Gensler approves one, maybe not, but the next chair will, at some point in time, there will be a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, and that will really reduce all of Grayscale's, the ma main cash cow of DCG, their ability to take fees. Uh, because they Grayscale is charging 200 bips, where an effective... Uh, um, uh, ETF from some market competitive thing would more likely be 30 bips. Uh, and so fees going into Grayscale would basically go to zero. And so that's Grayscale's or that's uh, DCG's last remaining big asset. And the, uh, Ram said he'd done a bit of the math. There's just not enough time for Grayscale to generate cash to pay off the $1.7 billion of debt that DCG 1. has. $1.7 billion? Yes. It's a yes. lot, David. Yes, yeah. And so the idea here is Grayscale is a cash cow. That time is running short. As soon as there's a Bitcoin ETF, uh, then the fees are just not going not gonna to cut it. And so DCG is like, time is not on DCG's side here. I feel like everyone's just hoping for another crypto bull market to just paper these things up and paper over <laughs> the mistakes, right? If Bitcoin goes to uh, 100K, then like, you know, Doesn't probably matter. DCG mm, can yeah. afford this. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, all right, what do we got? Tornado Cash was hacked. What does that yeah. even mean? Uh, okay, so... A malicious DAO, Tornado DAO governance proposal was proposed, uh, and then that malicious proposal actually got 700,000 votes because there was a sneaky part of that proposal that was not, no one saw it. No one saw the, the ex potential exploit, a potential bug. Uh, and so this proposer uh, got this uh, proposal to go through, which ultimately allowed a malicious exploiter through governance uh, uh, control, allowed the attacker to basically take over the DAO. Wait, what's uh, the proposer of this governance proposer, uh, proposal? Was that the hacker? That was themselves? the hacker. Uh, okay. I, I would imagine so, yes. They, okay. Yes, a malicious governance proposal, I, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, so they, they, the... Uh, Governance proposal allowed the attacker to grant themselves 1.2 million fake votes after it got uh, 0.7 million legit votes. And then, so what does that mean? Recap, recap on Tornado Cash. Okay, so it is a, a privacy protocol, of course, mm -hmm. that U.S. citizens cannot use. Thank you, mm -hmm. OFAC. Uh, but it's a, it's a privacy protocol, kind of a mixer. You put your ETH in if you want to sort of anonymize it, and mm -hmm. uh, you can get it out. And of course, we've we've talked about this a lot. But there's a governance component mm -hmm. to this protocol. And there's a token called TORN, yep. T-O-R-N, yep. that is the the governance token behind this mm -hmm. protocol. Is that the part that was hacked, the governance protocol itself, not the smart contracts with all of the, the mixed ETH in it? Uh, am I correct about this? That is correct, yes. So the actual pools are not affected because they are completely like 
cut off from uh, exploitation by the governance. Tornado Cash governance has no governance over the pools. They are their own like self-sovereign uh, smart contracts on Ethereum. Uh, and so the individual pools are intact. So what the attacker can do is withdraw all the locked votes and drain all the tokens in the governance contracts. So there's uh, some uh, funds, treasury funds, and then also some torn tokens. Uh, and so those got exploited. Now basically the torn token is going to zero. Uh, and uh, that's basically the story. So, I mean, RPR. I mean, it, does this kill Tornado Cash? Yes. It well. So the one of the functions of Tornado Cash governance was the relayers, which is how people actually achieved privacy. So like when you withdrew your ether from Tornado Cash, you need to process that as a transaction. Who pays for the gas fees? If you pay for the gas fees, then you actually just dox yourself again. So it makes it pointless. So really? a relayer would right, right, uh, right, process right. that transaction for you. And that was up yes. to governance, I think. Um, yeah. A anyways, governance over Tornado Cash is dead. Pools are still intact. Uh, TBD on really what happens next. I mean, it's not, It's and who was the attacker? It's no, like the know. CIA attacking it? Could I mean, there, there's reports that this was um, the North Korean group. Um, what are they called again? Lazarus. Yeah, I'm talking about. Why yeah, would they attack year. Tornado Cash though? Because they love Tornado Cash. I don't know. Who knows what's going on? Yeah. Psyops. It's, it's, it's an interesting case study in exploitative governance attacks, which is a thing that we've which known about. It's a and security now, hole, isn't it? Right. Right. But that I mean, it's, it's also why, like, it, but we did know that Tornado Cash privacy pools are, were cut off from this. And so. We, that's been the way that they've been designed. Other systems like this are designed like Uniswap governance. If Uniswap governance got exploited, there, this funds in Uniswap would be completely safe because of the same principle. Yeah, but it does some funky things. Like it's sort of, I, I don't know, you can't govern the thing anymore. You can't upgrade it. Yeah. All sorts of bad things happen. So, I mean, it's just especially weird when like Tornado Cash governance philosophy was supposed to be very, and is very, very separate from the actual product. Same thing with Uniswap. It's so like, oh, governance got exploited. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> we can't govern Tornado Cash anymore. This well, the, all the torrent system is maximally to ungovernable. Anyway. I, I think what's what's uh, really fascinating about this is that's a story, but it's like who is the attacker? Um, yeah. The identity of the attacker, yeah. and what the motivations are there. Um, this is one of the most interesting set of smart contracts on Ethereum, mm -hmm. given kind of the the geopolitical um, confrontation about it. It's the only only set of smart contracts on the OFAC sanction list. Um, all right, Binance accused of commingling customer funds. So mixing customer funds and company revenue together. That's a story that came out of Reuters this mm -hmm. week, a, a special report. Um, I'm sure CZ would call this FUD, David, but what are the details of this story? So the, so the accusation, the details are that Binance commingled customer uh, funds and also profits and company money into the same accounts. Interestingly, at Silvergate Bank, I did not know Binance had an account at, at Silvergate. Uh, this was before it collapsed, of course. Uh, so customer dollars flowed into Silvergate, and then also profits and also com customer uh, uh, company money also flowed into the same account at Silvergate. Uh, so big accounting no-no. Um, best case scenario is that it's just a big accounting no-no. I mean, I think one of the reasons why this is news is like the last time that we saw commingled customer funds, it was FTX because yeah, everything and the, was commingled. And the, and the last uh, founder CEO said, oh, that's just FUD as right. well. Remember that yes. guy? His name is yes. SBF. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you look into the story, you'll see like customer flows, uh, customer funds flowed into Silvergate. And then that went into a firm in the Skellyish called Key Vision, which was controlled by Binance uh, by CZ. Uh, but basically, this is this is the story. Commingle customer funds. Uh, they found no evidence that m client money was taken. Um, 
But the idea is like in the FTX story is like, yeah, customers funny money wasn't like taken or stolen. They was just liquidated because they were trading. So no one really knows. Now it's a black box. And so it doesn't really do anything to help the narrative of Binance as a big black box. It certainly doesn't. It's more of a black box. I hate that we're in the position of like, we have to actually kind of trust CZ. Right. Um, and of course, uh, CZ is, is uh, saying four to this, right? It's more FUD, right. basically. Yes. And if you don't know what four means, uh, we actually uh, recorded an episode with CZ where he kind of explains that. Um, that's coming out Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can get his takes on, on this and some other things. But I guess what, what do we know? Um, Binance is still standing yep. after the, the 2022 and 2023 bank runs. All right, so they didn't go under. Um, They processed $17 billion of withdrawals in the week that people tried to do the run on Binance. Right. So So they may be doing something. We have no idea. We have no idea. They weren't doing it to the extent that Sam Bankman-Fried was and FTX was, right? I I do wish we had better proof of reserves uh, in place. And that's the question we asked uh, CZ. He kind of um, said that wasn't the full answer, but like we need better proof of reserves for uh, the crypto exchanges. We need better audits. We need better records. Um, I don't. I don't know how much you can trust uh, a Binance. I mean, my answer to this is you got to use multiple crypto exchanges. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always the way, and you don't keep your funds on a crypto exchange, guys. Right. Public bathroom. Go in, do your business, get out. That's what you should be doing. And so you're not put in this place of having to trust a crypto bank, at least uh, at an individual level. At the same time, David, um, I don't know if all of the the critics are right on Binance. Like right. um, there there is this notion that that Binance and CZ are just as corrupt as another SBF. Um, certainly that's a popular notion in the US. Um, but then we have Operation Chokepoint. How mm-hmm. difficult is it to actually get a bank account in the United States? Maybe there are some reasons, not necessarily for commingling of funds, it's probably always unjustifiable, but maybe there are some reasons that um, <laughs> the back end looks messy. It's mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to come right. into the light and actually get a regulated bank account in the United States. Um, so I don't really know who to trust in this situation, and I hate that we are in this position in crypto, and there's certainly some blame on the uh, CZ side, the Binance side of things to go around. But there's absolutely some blame on the U.S. regulatory apparatus side. And they haven't made this easy. They've just pushed more into the dark. I mean, we have Wells notices going to Coinbase, who has been domiciled in the U.S. from the very beginning and has been kind of the student in the front of the class, straight A student, always saying, yes, teacher, I'll do whatever you need, like being very regulatory compliant. And they are having trouble with the current administration, mm-hmm. the current regulatory apparatus in the U.S. If they can't do it, I mean, <laughs> we got a real problem. So that's my take. It, it's not necessarily satisfying right now because I don't know who to trust and, and who not. There's, there's not sort of a very clear um, binary about this, but that's all I got. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Binance, we talked about this in the podcast. Like Binance and Tether are these two very large systemic components of the crypto industry that are just FUD magnets. Everyone wants to FUD them. And like anytime I see like the next Tether FUD uh, scroll across my like Twitter feed, I just keep on scrolling because like it's been that way ever since I've gotten to crypto. There's always been Tether FUD. And now it's starting to be like, oh, now there's is Binance FUD. Binance FUD, Binance FUD, Binance FUD. And like 
the only reason why I know to scroll past Tetherfud is because like it's always happened and nothing's ever come to pass and it's starting to be that way with Binance too. But it's only the only reason why that's I keep on scrolling is because every other time it's always passed. That's the only reason I've got. Not that I know anything. It's just like, oh, the, the whole year FUD this, never came, came to be. Do you trust Tether enough to store your stable coins in Tether or do you choose a different stable coin? I don't. I've never held Tether for like a, more than a day or whatever. And why is that? Is it because you don't trust them to the extent you trust other stable coins? There's better options. Yeah. That's, how, that's the way I've always felt. That's also the way I, I feel about um, centralized exchange choices. Right. And I, I think there's still where we are in this in this industry, in this stage, uh, is to be a crypto user, you are in the Wild West, in the Journey mm-hmm. West. You can't trust anybody. <laughs> you have to like be educated about this stuff and you have to make discerning choices. So if it smells bad, even if it's not entirely bad, you don't know, just don't put your eggs in that basket or just yeah. only put a few eggs in that basket. Um, speaking as a former Celsius user, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had like very little in that. Right. And it was just to kind of to test and very intentionally. So because bad stuff can happen in crypto. Uh, I mean, yeah. FUD. It's FUD week. All right, moving on. <laughs> Coming up next in the rest of the news base on mainnet soon TM pudgy penguins on Amazon, We've got toys, NFT toys on Amazon, actually following through with this roadmap, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then also, could restaking mess up Ethereum? A uh, mm. new Vitalik article just drops about his concerns about restaking, which Ryan and I will unpack. So all of that news and more. But first, I want to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially MetaMask. If we have used any weird jargon that is uh, esoteric and niche and needs explaining and we forgot to explain it, then MetaMask Learn is for you. Let's go hear from them. Learning about crypto is hard. Until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user. Friendly, not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. Mantle is a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 network built differently from the other Layer 2s you may be familiar with. Mantle is a modular Layer 2 built on the OP stack but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle's gas fees by 80% compared to other Layer 2s, but it also reduces gas fee volatility. Mantle has a decentralized sequencer set, eliminating the risk of downtime and censorship on the network. And because Mantle implements multi-party computation nodes, layer one settlement execution is shortened from seven days to as low as just one or two. Mantle is the first layer two built by a DAO and is backed by one of the biggest DAO treasuries in the world, BitDAO. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded to help the growth of Mantle, like Game7 for Web3 gaming, or EduDAO for the world of DeSci, and Bybit for TVL, liquidity, and on-ramps. Check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. 
Apple, the Web2 Mafia, starting to actually give some <laughs> green lights to some crypto apps. So we got two reports, out of, but one out of Steppen and one out of Axie Infinity, that they're in-app crypto features that involve trading or buying or selling of crypto assets got approved and are not paying the 30% fee. What? pretty cool. That's I wonder some, if they had to kiss the ring to the mob boss. I, I don't know. So Steppen announced the integration of Apple Pay as the first yes. blockchain game users can buy, sell, and trade Steppen NFT sneakers in the app and pay for them with debit and credit cards linked to Apple Pay. Uh, and so you can purchase Spark credits, which I think is an internal currency to Steppen. Uh, and then Spark credits is one USDC. And so USDC is in this app that is approved by Apple. Uh, and so that, and then also similarly, uh, Axie Infinity has also gotten its app approved. Finally, after yeah. years of them mm -hmm. trying this, Axie Infinity game launches on the Apple App Store in key markets. Uh, I guess maybe there's a thawing going on in the Cold War between mm -hmm. Crypto Web three and Apple. At least hints of this. I, I hope it continues. A Apple has been a massive gatekeeper. I mean, Uniswap, the wallet, couldn't even get approved for the longest of times. Yeah. Uh, this seems like good news to me. Yeah, I mean, Apple's got a lot of users. It would it makes absolutely zero sense for them to charge thirty percent on every single blockchain integration. And so it was either no blockchain at all in the app in the Apple iOS store ever, or they let loose. And so finally, yeah. maybe there's a turning of the tides. Maybe I'd like to see more of that before uh, we can say it's right. a trend. But Call it's a good, victory, good yeah. science. Mm -hmm. Base mainnet Coinbase's base layer two built on the OP stack is coming to mainnet soon. TM, uh, there is a set of criteria that will unlock the mainnet launch. A successful hard fork of their testnet, another successful infrastructure review with OP Labs. Uh, OP mainnet must upgrade to Bedrock, which is also soon TM. We talked about that last week. Uh, and then completion of audits with no critical issues and some testnet stability. Once all these things happen, then we're going to see the base mainnet launch. And the testnet's been up and running. And so all of these applications that have been building on the testnet, are just, they're just going to be ready to go. So the theme park that is being built is going to have rides on day one. So that's well, exciting. And let's just remind bankless listeners as well, this is the first time a major centralized exchange has launched a layer two. The mm. very first time. History being made here, I think. We even asked uh, CZ about that. Hey, CZ, you're going to turn the BNB chain into a roll-up? You know what? So, you, know what he, uh, you remember what he said? Well, no, no, no. We should tease it. The answer, guys, is coming on Monday when we release the podcast. Uh, he, he, I'm going to tease it. He did say uh, <laughs> the BNB team has thought about layer twos on Binance Chain. I'm like, that's not what I asked, CZ. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hear that answer uh, com coming up uh, on Monday, David. Some cool stuff in the NFT world, at least. I think so. Pudgy Penguins smashes their Amazon debut. Are we looking at a commercial here for Pudgy Penguin toys? Yeah, Pudgy Penguin um, stuffed animals. Ted Is this Teddy, worth playing? Should I Teddy play this? Teddy bears, but Teddy penguins? kind of weird. Julie, it's time to go. Oh, that's them on the floor. It's a big Toy Story looking commercial right now. Oh, it is. Oh, they're waking they come up. alive. <gasps> So cute. <laughs> All right, Pengers. Coast is clear. My back was starting to hurt. Okay, this is a Toy Story oh. ripoff. Has anyone seen my hat? My hair is all bad. What's that sound? We don't have to watch more, David. I need a 
Do, do you have a penguin? I'm curious. The kid's coming back. Oh, she only Just took one of the NFTs. Well, clearly she's got a favorite. Coast is clear. It's the highest, uh, highest market value. Wow. <laughs> okay. Picked up. All right. Well, here's here are the stats. $500,000 of pudgy penguin stuffed animals were sold in the first week, in the first two days. 20, Is that, that seems good. That seems like it's, yeah, that's, a, that's because like NFT market caps aren't that high. They're in the tens of millions of dollars. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe pudgy penguins is over 100. I, I don't know. Um, 20,000 individual stuffed animal pudgy penguins were sold. Um, dominated the charts of Amazon sales, beating brands like Disney, Transformers, Pokemon, Barbie, and Legos. Uh, pretty crazy. Who, yeah, that's who's buying insane. all these things? <laughs> is it kids? Are we turning kids into are, are is it, is it kids gamblers? or is it us? <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, I don't know what's more concerning. <laughs> I guess uh, stuffed animals. There's nothing wrong with stuffed animals if you're, you know, a grown adult. Twenty thousand individual toys sold. Well, there's only ten thousand pudgies. So even if every single NFT owner bought two, that's 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 how that would come out to be. All right. <laughs> Congrats to the Pudgy team for executing on the Road Mom. Nice job. Yeah, um, that's it, It'd be pretty crazy to see, like, a new toy enter the children's world, and it actually started as, like, a degenerate NFT part project in the bull market. Crazy, <laughs> but not, like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. something that would, okay, yeah, that's that's seems about right. <laughs> I, could, I could totally see that happening. Uh, okay, all right, moving on. Uh, Do Kwan, our favorite person, who's just down the street from me in Montenegro, uh, is back in jail. His bail got revoked. He was on. Uh, he was freed on bail for, for her, like a really low number, like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then a judge has revoked that, and now he's back in Montenegro in jail. <laughs> and that's huh. the story. Okay. Uh, sorry, Doe. No interview on Bankless. No interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, did you read this article? Uh, yeah. It's entitled "Don't Overload Ethereum's Consensus" from Vitalik Buterin, and he was really talking about restaking here which mm-hmm. has been a theme we've been talking about a lot on Bankless. And I think the subtext of this theme, these are not the words Vitalik used, but it's basically, could restaking hurt Ethereum? Could it kill Ethereum? Could it really damage the protocol? And what's kind of your TLDR of his post? Of course, you know, Vitalik does a great job putting it in his own words, but if you were to kind of synthesize this for us, what would you say he's trying to communicate in this post? So just to briefly explain restaking, restaking is when you take your ETH stake, you are staked, you have staked your ETH to the Ethereum main chain. Restaking allows you to take that same ETH that's already staked to Ethereum and then also sign up for additional slashing conditions for a separate and new network. Uh, And so say there is an Oracle network that would also like your collateral as a bond to make sure that you correctly uh, report the price. You can restake your Ether to that new Oracle network, and then you can get fees from that Oracle network. And then if you lie to that Oracle network, your Ether that's also staked to the Ethereum beacon chain will also be slashed. In theory... So what's the problem? In theory, you could actually layer this restaking on over and over and over again for juiced up yields. And then people are like, ooh, wait, that's a lot of slashing conditions. Is that harming the security of Ethereum? And Vitalik is like, no, that doesn't necessarily harm Ethereum unless... Whatever these new networks are, if one of them starts to be systemically important at the social layer, Mm. and so at the hardware layer and the objectivity layer, there is no 
It's like the restaking and restaking and restaking, the layering on of, of new networks, that doesn't intrinsically threaten Ethereum consensus. What it would do is something like the 2016 DAO hack, where if one of these networks has a lot of restake and something bad happens on that network that's separate from Ethereum, then because that net one network got so large and it had so much restaked ETH to it, that it became systemically important at the cultural level. And then if the that restaking uh, chain that got exploited would then ask for a rollback of or a hard fork of Ethereum. It, it's, that is you know where it's dangerous. Uh, 2016 is a perfect analog to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So is a 2008 banking crisis. I mean, the, the intrinsic problem is too big to fail. When something becomes too big to fail, and so the stakeholders at the social layer all agree, well, this has become too big to fail. And if it fails, there'll be such social cost to a particular set of stakeholders that we politically care about that we need to bail them out. And then they go about that bailout process. That's when things uh, have this, um, this really negative externality in being too big to fail. Mm-hmm. And Vitalik is saying... I am concerned, unless we kind of guard at the social layer around this, that that could happen with restaking. And so you designers of restaking, make sure you're doing it correctly. Make sure you're doing it well. Make sure you're doing it without introducing this hazard into the social layer of Ethereum. Um, And if it becomes too big to fail, and there's the prospect, the mention of some sort of a bailout, that's when things move from like, you know, yellow to orange to, to closer to red. I, I think that's that's uh, what, what he was communicating in the post, at least to me. And you could see all sorts of possible designs. And it's not just, you know what, it's not just staking that could do this. I, I could also see if you had a layer two that got kind of too big to fail or something. Let's say layer two, too big to fail had, um, I don't know. Layer two 20%, broke, broke or something. Yeah. yeah, 20% of ether on it. Like if, if uh, Arbitrum bridge broke and all of the ether that's deposited to Arbitrum somehow was not able to be withdrawn from Arbitrum in some weird way that we didn't expect, would yeah. we roll back the chain? It would really hurt to not roll back the chain, and I don't think the Ethereum community would do it. You you, you think they wouldn't do it? They you would think not they do it, and it would hurt. Chain. It would hurt to do to not do it. I and agree. It would take that to the face. And also because of fork choice rules, there would be a significant faction that actually want to fork ETH. In that situation, I would expect. I think I think it would be a contentious thing. I think there'd be a battle. I think it could be somewhat like the DAO, in that you'd have um, a group who says, "Yeah, no rollbacks, never." Uh, and then if it was big enough, and if you don't think that would qualify, Arbitrum Bridge. Just imagine something bigger than David, like mm-hmm. more more ETH, more substantial to mm-hmm. the um, ETH validators or whoever's kind of making the political decisions of Ethereum, you, you could you could see a world where that could happen. What's interesting though about it is, let's say there was some, some event like that and it did happen and there was a fork, right? It's always interesting with a fork is uh, ETH holders always end up with uh, double the assets, don't they? I guess unless there's some sort of oh, a fork. Oh, hold on. <laughs> I mean, you can, and I think that's Have great. Have you collected think, your Ether proof of work tokens, Ryan? No, I mean, but that's a, just not a, a serious, legitimate uh, fork, right? I certainly collected my Ethereum Classic, mm. and then I had the choice whether I, I wanted to continue Ethereum Classic or whether I wanted to sell it. And I think I, along with the majority of the Ethereum community, sold Ethereum Classic and doubled down on, on uh, regular old Ethereum. Mm. And 
uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that's actually like the ultimate remedy for governance mm. is if things got too contentious, if there was some sort of too big to fail type event and there was a fork, then all the stakeholders have to decide. Like it's very messy. That's not like what we want to happen, but um, I'm just pushing it that to the logical conclusion and right. it's still not the end of the world, I guess is what I'm saying. Speaking of forks, there seems to be a bipartisan fork here recently. Uh, this is Ron DeSantis. He announced his candidacy as a Republican um, a presidential candidate. And he says this, you've got every right to do Bitcoin, to do Bitcoin. I love that. The only reason these pe people in Washington don't like it is because they don't control it. Let them do Bitcoin, says Ron DeSantis. That's interesting how uh, there's been a growing set of Republicans that have taken the posture of being anti-CDBC and pro-crypto. Uh, meanwhile, it seems like the Democratic establishment, not all of them, of course, in fact, we've had Democratic members of Congress on bankless in the last couple of weeks, but there is a contingent of establishment, I think, Democrats, maybe Elizabeth Warren and her ilk who are the pushing hard against Bi crypto. Biden and friends. I would say the Biden administration is, is one of them. This is uh, Joe Biden. When he speaks about crypto, he says things like this, and this is him last week. I'm not going to agree to a deal that protects wealthy tax cheats and crypto traders while putting food assistance at risk. Of course, uh, I personally don't want to put food assistance at risk, but uh, incorporating I'm a big, I'm a big fan crypto traders <laughs> with wealthy tax cheats is some um, political grouping that, uh, that I don't appreciate and I don't mm. like. So I'm wondering if this uh, partisan d divide will, will kind of increase. Um, it, it does seem like if one party doubles down on an issue and Ron DeSantis is, is kind of making this part of his presidential announcement, you've got every right to do Bitcoin, he says, then the other party has to just be like, oh, they're doing this. So we're going to do the exact opposite. I just worry about that. I don't even know if they've, they've thought about this from a fundamentals, uh, like, you know, base yeah. principles perspective. I don't even know if Ron DeSantis does. I don't know, even know if he cares. He's just like, oh, here's a crypto cohort. They have some money. They have some influence. I can get behind this issue, maybe. And so I'm going to be pro-crypto. And then Democrats see the pro-crypto Republican, and they're like, they're pro-crypto? We're going to be anti-crypto. And no one actually has a conversation about this and looks at the base principles of, like, you know, the things that we all care about or all have in common. That's mm -hmm. my uh, my bear case for this, David. I don't know if you see that, but yeah, your bear I'm case is that this. political theater is just political theater. Like yes, it, it, the idea. One of the cool things about crypto is that when you deeply understand crypto and you go down the crypto rabbit hole, and you go and navigate the dark forest of crypto, and you come out the other under, other side, understanding how so much more of the world works, and then you see the politics be like, oh, there's this new important thing, and then. The left and the right, the red and the blue, people just like squabble over it now, yep. regardless of the fundamentals. They don't give a shit about our industry. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, they now know. we fight over this thing. Like, who wants that? Oh, my God. Yeah, I, know. I do like it's the idea of Ron DeSantis saying, let them do Bitcoin using Bitcoin as an idea, not an actual noun. Like, let them do Bitcoin using like... How intentional do you think that was? <laughs> I, don't I don't think know. very intentional. Okay. <laughs> I don't think very intentional. Oh, uh, wow. Well, crypto is still continuing to build, David. We've got some releases this week. Uh, the first from Matcha. Let's just show the interface. This is really cool. And of course, uh, I can log in with MetaMask as I already have. 
But uh, Matcha, of course, is a decentralized exchange aggregation service. And in the background, do you know like decentralized exchange market share? David, we haven't shown this on the rollup in a while, but market share of DEX volume to centralized exchange volume, uh, centralized exchanges are losing market share to yep. decentralized exchanges recently. Always and have. that's been huge. But like, look at this. Um, this is Matcha, the new user interface. The really cool thing about it is uh, this the search token search functionality. Mm, I so have what never seen a well-functioning token search in a U, uh, UI before. What do you want? What do you want to buy? Some ARB? Look oh, at this. boom! Mm. It's there. And Matcha, of course, is a, a decentralized exchange aggregator, so it's going to find you the best liquidity across all of it. Anyway, all I'm saying is the user experience. We here, here's what I'm saying. We have 10% of Americans that hold crypto are using crypto today. Mm -hmm. And the UX has been historically kind of bad. What happens when the UX gets 5x better and 10x better? Uh, cool things are going to happen. And we're on the cusp of that. And you can see that when you when you see releases like Matcha that are happening pretty quietly in the background. Yeah. This isn't just a front-end UI upgrade, though. Uh, they also have some protocol upgrades, faster trade confirmations. They say they've reduced failed trades by 85%. They are still paying your gas fees, although you are still paying it in a roundabout way. Uh, but yeah, at least you don't have to pay ETH, which is nice. Uh, and then they've indexed 3.7 million tokens uh, to enable that 3.7 million? That's a lot we of have tokens. that many? Yeah. Coming up on releases, Connext has released chain abstraction. So we've talked about account abstraction, but Connext is doing this thing called chain abstraction. Uh, and so if you want to, say you have like USDC on Arbitrum, and you want to send that USDC to Polygon to deploy it in Aave. And that takes you like, Six transactions. Ooh, and then if you get over to Polygon and you don't have any Matic in your wallet, then your USDC is stuck until you get some Matic in your wallet. Chain abstraction does the same thing as account abstraction does for smart contract wallets, but now we have like smart bridges. So you can bundle up all of these transactions all at once and then have that bridge and transfer and action on both chains done in one single transaction through Connects, which is a bridge, by the way. Connects is a bridge. Um, and but now they are doing this thing called account abstraction. So uh, fewer steps to get what you want done across the chain. Really, this fits into the theme of like Ethereum and its multi, its layer two strategy. All the, the Solana people are like, oh, you guys are breaking composability. It's breaking UX, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Ethereum people and like the layer two, layer three, super chain people are like, yeah, but eventually all of that will be abstracted and it'll just be one unified super chain. And th this is part of that journey, chain abstraction. Oh, there you go, chain abstraction. Builders are building. That's what I get from this. Last one here is uh, Astria. Mm -hmm. Astria.xyz is a NFT backed lending protocol. So NFT in, borrow USDC or some other token out. Uh, this is from uh, Joseph DeLong of former Sushi Swap fame. Uh, and so if you are into the world of NFT, Phi, Astaria is for you. Yeah, I think I said Astria. Uh, Astaria. Astaria. Yeah. Astaria. 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 It's definitely Astaria. There we go. Got some jobs of the week here. Jobs. Uh, what are we looking at, David? Otter Space, Web3 Frontend Engineer. <laughs> uh, Bankless Ventures needs an... Uh, investment analyst intern Coinbase needs a staff blockchain engineer, staff smart contract engineer, Phantom a software engineer for mobile, and for front end Uniswap Labs a senior back end engineer. We got all the jobs for you on the banklist.palette.com job site. Uh, David, what do we have coming up next? 
Coming up next, we got questions from the nation. Somebody asked in the Discord, what are settlement insurances? And man, I'm so glad they asked that question. I love that. Uh, and then also, what's the difference between the 2019 bear and the 2023 bear? As well as some hot takes from crypto Twitter and what David and Ryan are bullish on. So we're going to get to all of that and more. But first, a moment to talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Immutable is at the forefront of Web3 gaming on a mission to bring digital ownership to every player, offering the world's best games and game development platform. Immutable lets game builders and players focus on great gaming experiences. So build your next Web3 game on easy mode with Immutable's leading full stack Web3 gaming platform. It's built in UX features like the Immutable Passport are designed for games to scale to the next billion players coming to Web3. With Immutable, players can sign up with an email, pay with a credit card, and experience a frictionless purchase flow inside of games. So discover your next favorite game and explore a network of 150 games building on Immutable, including such titles as Gauze Unchained, Guilds of Guardians, Illuvium, Ember Sword, and Metalcore. So join Web3's largest ecosystem of games and players. Build, play, and connect at immutable.com. Hiring people worldwide, paying them in crypto, providing them access to benefits, it all so complex. But it doesn't have to be. Complying with labor laws, payroll rules, tax obligations, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly. And it's drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. But there is good news. Toku is here. Toku is the first employment and compensation platform for the crypto industry that makes this easy. Toku helps you hire employees or contractors and pay them in fiat or crypto legally, compliantly, and with all the taxes handled in over a hundred different jurisdictions. So whether you're an early stage company with just a team of two, or you're an enterprise with 200, Toku has a solution that meets your needs. Toku is already working with the leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So transform your employment and token payroll operations with Toku. You can reach out to Toku at toku.com bankless, or click the link in the show notes. Question this week from Tad Zhu. In your episode about finality issues of the Beacon Chain last week, you used the term settlement assurance multiple times. Can you please explain this term further? Thank you. David, is this your uh, alt account that asked this question? <laughs> it feels like it's teeing you up just to talk about settlement assurances, which I know it's something you're passionate about. So tell us, now's your chance. Tell us what are settlement assurances? Yeah, so this is actually very deep in bankless lore, I'd say. There was a time where we really focused on this thing called settlement assurances and also uh, public goods. I wrote an article called Settlement Assurances and the Global Public Goods Thesis. All of these things kind of tying together. So this is like a, actually a really deep part of like bankless philosophy, I'd say. The importance of settlement assurances. And back in like 2017 when I was getting into crypto, like people were still getting confused about like Litecoin versus Bitcoin. Like Litecoin, it's Bitcoin, but faster and better. Like yeah, Litecoin blocks are four times faster, but is uh, the important thing about crypto is that when you make a transaction, it is final. It is in the blockchain. And so like, yeah, you could make a Bitcoin and you could spin up so it has 10 trillion, transa 10 trillion transactions a minute. Is that what makes blockchains faster though? Can you just have faster blocks to make transactions more final? Um, in the concept, in the world of settlement insurances, the answer is no. And so because Bitcoin's proof of work, its hash rate is like hundreds of times faster than Litecoin, Technically, even though Bitcoin is a slow blockchain, its transaction finality is the fastest that it's out of any blockchain that exists. At least that's when I wrote it back in 2017. Uh, Ethereum proof of stake and finality uh, is actually now the new fastest because it takes mm. six minutes to have 
uh, billions of dollars of settlement assurances. So you know that your transaction is in the in the chain or else there will be tens of billions of dollars of Ether burned if your transaction gets unwound. So Litecoin can't hold a candle to Bitcoin's finality just because it has faster blocks. Now, settlement insurances also goes back to the trad payment rails, right? Except in the trad payment rails, you get settlement insurances from the court system. So to undo a transaction in, in the trad world, like you can go and undo an ACH transfer at any arbitrary time. There is no finality in the, in the trad world. There's finality in the crypto world because we operate by crypto economics. So the idea of settlement insurances allows you to have property rights assurances. This goes back to the idea of property rights. The assurance is that your property is yours and is not going to be taken from you because of settlement assurances. Um, I've written an article about this. I gave a talk at Ethereum about this in 2019. Uh, and then we did a, we did an episode on this. It's like episode five or episode seven of the Bankless mm. podcast. Uh, and so actually, I just went into the Discord just now and just uh, uh, wrote, wrote this answer out to Tazu because uh, I was so excited that they asked it, which is how you know that I didn't actually ask it myself. <laughs> uh, and I just dumped all that stuff in there into the Discord uh, because I, it's just such an important part of like how we think it really is it really gets to the base layer of like why we're here and and the the entire thesis for crypto i think like settlement assurances is really the economic weight that is cementing your particular transaction uh Mm -hmm. on chain right property it's it's all about property yeah it's all about economic weight and what's interesting too is what you can compare it across different chains of course but the comparison that you did with with uh, nation states and you say Mm -hmm. like a transaction um, is kind of settled by the court system, can be undone by the court system. There's even a, a layer under that, right? If your court system is functioning and democratic and there's a, a set of rules, yeah, that makes sense. What happens if your government becomes mm. corrupt? What happens right. if you are a political dissident against an authoritarian uh, government leadership? Well, <laughs> not very difficult for right. them to unsettle no your finality. settled transaction. There's no finality, really. And so what are the settlement assurances of a nation state? It, it comes down to like, who's in power? Who's mm-hmm. in control? Who's hopefully, got the guns? Yeah, hopefully there's a constitution uh, that kind of prohibits the people with guns from being able to do certain things and the society's governed that way. But what if that fractures? What if that decays? The cool thing about crypto is it's all kind of economic weight. We don't need to have guns. And so it provides a different, I, I might say better. Yeah. For the digital realm, it is a better, better uh, settlement assurance. It's also worldwide. Anyone with an internet uh, system can access it. One of the books, um, I can't think of the name. The name escapes me right now. But it's a, an economic book around the growth of economies. And it talks about how um, property rights are the best predictor, like the certainty and the stability of your property rights system is actually the predictor of a nation state's success. What oh, did America yeah, yeah. get it's, really um, right? Hernando de Soto's Mystery yes. of Capital. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, what did America really get right in the early days? And by the way, it took a long time for them to get here is property rights, settlement assurances. And, the pro- and once they got that right, man, the economy was, was humming. People wanted to bring their businesses here. Entrepreneurs wanted to, to open up shop. People wanted to bring their capital to the country, the economic network with better settlement assurances. My God, I feel like we have another podcast in us, David. Was it, wait, talk it was about you that asked the question. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, you caught me. <laughs> Here we go. We should go on to the next, but maybe we, uh, maybe we need to de- dig deep in the archives and, yeah. and pull back some, um, 
some bankless content for yeah. kind of the new bankless generation. Lore. Yeah. yeah, bankless lore. But let's get to this next question from mm-hmm. Zero X Nader. This was not me asking the question. What are some of the biggest differences between this bear market and 2019? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, so in 2018 or 19, we were creating DeFi for the very first time. In fact, we were coming up with a word for it. Like Uniswap was created, Compound was created, MakerDAO was growing. Um, the that was what was going and like it was a zero to one moment it was like we actually going into the last bear market we really didn't know what Ethereum was good for like uh, we had to defend smart contracts just scam IT- ICOs that's all just it was scam yes. ICOs. yeah and like and we also had smart contracts that blew up right so like we had to defend Ethereum even though we had nothing to stand on as a foundation we had just an idea to protect that idea was correct because the next bull market happened was a DeFi bull market, DeFi summer, NFTs, blah, 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 blah. So here we are in this bear market. What are we building now? Uh, much more sophisticated financial infrastructure, uh, layer two bridges for reduced stuff, uh, layer, layer twos and bridges. Um, and then USDC is huge. The market cap of Ether is massive. I say what is being built now, there's direction and purpose and we know what needs to get built. Like the main difference in this bear market is we know what we're doing. <laughs> Last time we did not know what we're doing. Uh, d- investment in this ecosystem is much more directional and with intent and purpose, with a vision, with a North Star, rather than just like wandering around in the dark. So in addition to that, we also have 10 to 100 times the amount of capital. Like we almost ran out of money last time. Uh, and so I, those are the main differences. The, the crypto's big. Gone are like the, the most frustrating thing about, uh, and I picked up on this I think really early in my crypto career. There's like, oh, Bitcoin, Ether, it could go to zero. You could lose. You could lose everything that you put in. And people were saying that back in 2017 about Bitcoin. You, and I was like, they can't, they can't actually go to zero. <laughs> That's the point. And we stopped saying that last bear market. Or, or, or you could say, um, if you say that Bitcoin or Ether could go to zero, then you could also say that about any anything. other asset on the right. planet. Yes. The dollar could go to zero. Right. And it Gold could go, go to, to zero. zero. Right, uh-huh. Sure, it's all possible. Right. We're just talking about probabilities here. Right. And so this bear market, like no one's no one's saying these words. And so everyone now, and this is what it means to be priced in, right? Ether was $80 at the bottom, 82, like 80 to $300, and now it's $1,000 to $2,000. No one's pricing in like going to zero anymore um, for Bitcoin yep. and, and, and Ether. And that that's producing a more stable right. foundation for people. Yeah, 2018, 2018 was existential. We, I, mm-hmm. I think of it as kind of a startup. Like Bitcoin ha- did have product market fit for some things, but Ethereum smart contract, DeFi, no, pr- didn't have. Dude, product we were doing fit. Twitter on the layer one. Could you imagine? Yeah. It was it was a, a zero to one moment. It was existential. It's like yeah. you were a company pre product market fit, and that is the hardest thing to do in an early stage company. And most companies fail right there. Like most companies die, most things die, most networks, most ideas die because they don't actually achieve product market fit. Now I have complete certainty that Ethereum smart contracts have product market fit. We've already Mm -hmm. done the zero to one. The only question is how big is it going to get? Now we're just assessing what the total addressable market for this thing is. Is it a 10x from here or a 100x from here? How many zeros mm-hmm. we got left is the big question. How many zeros we got left? How much of the uh, you know, like the the financial pie yeah. are these crypto networks going to be able to eat? Uh, I happen to think it's going to be a lot of them. I happen yeah. to think it's going to be kind of dominant. Uh, you know, I think we end with uh, I don't know, man. I haven't given out numbers in a long time, but we're going to be tens of trillions of dollars in total mm-hmm. crypto market cap. Remember at the intro, we say that every week, we're at 1 trillion right now, right. Uh, 30 to 50 trillion. 
I mean, that seems within sight to me. Now, where do you distribute that? There's a lot of questions. He's like, how much goes to ETH and Bitcoin? How much go to kind of the app layer? Don't know, have all the answers to that. But I do think that this entire new financial system will be denominated in the base money systems of their uh, respective dominant blockchains. Uh, so that's pretty bullish for assets like Ether. Anyway, totally different world in 2019. I wasn't yeah. sure if we we're going to make it. Now it's just a waiting game yeah. uh, while we built. That's there right. we go. Got some takes of the week, David. Here is the first take. I don't know if you saw this. I'm just going to play this uh, for you. This is from Fred Wilson. You remember Fred? Mm-hmm. Um, Unisquare Ventures? Mm-hmm. All right, this is what he says. The context here is, I think he was uh, taken in front of some sort of uh, government body. There's Barry Silbert in the picture here um, and asking about crypto. And here's what he says. The lesson from the internet is anything that China bans, invest in. Uh, And uh, that's a joke, but um, the U.S. allows Google to operate here, allows Twitter to operate here, allows Bitcoin to operate here, allows Facebook to operate here. Chinese government doesn't allow any of those companies to operate the way they operate in this country or at all. Uh, it's about freedom, ultimately. Uh, I just love that take. The lesson from the internet is anything that China bans, invest in. Of course, um, China has banned crypto in the past. I would broaden this, though, beyond China. Anything that the establishment is worried about or wants to ban, invest in that thing. This is part of a, a post where um, Fred Wilson recently responded in one of his quarterly calls at Unisquare Ventures, which is a VC fund that, that he operates. Um, if they were going to respond to the regulatory pressure on Web3 by de- uh, divesting, basically, um, cutting back their investments in Web3, and this is what he said, when they want to shut it down, I say double down. Mm. So to nice. Fred Wilson... It nice. is bullish that, that. The, the authoritarians and the institutions that are threatened by this asset class want to shut it down. What do you think about that? I, I, I love the line. Yeah. Uh, I mean, buy blood. It's the same thing as saying buy when there's blood in the streets. It's like, yeah, so like uh, we're getting choked out, starting to bleed. Uh, you should probably buy. Choke me harder. <laughs> Choke me harder, daddy. <laughs> no, <that is. laughs> uh, okay, all right. Ryan, I got a take for you. So okay, this is something I learned th- this last week here at uh, Zuzalu. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the millennial pause? I didn't know this was a thing until I, I saw this watched in the these agenda. videos, but why don't you explain this? Okay, so the millennial pause is like when you're on Instagram or TikTok and you're recording yourself because you're about to post a TikTok or a story or something. The millennial pause is this very brief moment right when they hit the record button and they wait for it to start recording and then they take a breath and say, hey guys, it's me, I'm on this TikTok <laughs> video, blah, 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 blah. And then the, the, it's called the millennial pause because the Zoomers are also on TikTok, also on Instagram because they're of age now and they're like, why the fuck do you guys do that? And the millennials wait, 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 like, can, can we you, see an example of this? Yeah, okay, like, yeah, open up the link. We got, we, got, we got Taylor Swift doing the millennial pause. Wait, okay, so it's, like, it's very, very subtle and very, very brief. So you have to pay attention yeah. to the very, very first moments of this video. And this is every time a millennial basically records themselves doing yeah, something. Yeah, doing a, doing a selfie saying, video. This is what yeah, they talking do. to the camera. All right, here's Taylor Swift. Let me see if you can spot it. <laughs> it's that pause right it's there. Just, it's just a hesitation. Hey, it's hey like when the video starts, they're not already talking. They're waiting okay. for the video to start. So when I first did that, I mm-hmm. when I first watched this, I was like, uh, yeah, that's how you do videos. Like, right. is there another way to do video? 
apparently there is. So yeah. what, what, so like, what is the contrast but, with Gen Z? So, the, the, so there's the Gen Z's got the Gen Z shake, which is the, <laughs> the equivalent to the millennial pause. So what is the Gen Z say, shake? It's like when they hit record, they put their phone down and they continue to talk to the camera because it's like candid. And the, the important thing about this, why they, I thought this was cool, is that this comes from when millennials watch this camera and phone and internet technology arise and go from shit to good, when we hit record, previously, you would wait for the software to kick in for the yeah. recording to start, there was and you pause. would need to wait for it to happen. Yeah. Now, if, with modern iPhones and, and like Android phones, it just, it's instantaneous, oh but we still God. wait. Dude, so we because of the technology, old. and so the the Zoomers are calling millennials boomers because of this millennial pause thing. We're waiting for our antiquated old technology to like start recording. And but okay, so but the, the Gen Z shake is that they hit record and then they set their phone down and then they start talking. And so they're yeah. talking as they set the phone down, but the phone is shaking because they're setting it down. And so they're and so like they don't wait for, hey guys. They don't wait for the breath. They don't say filler words. They just go right into the conversation. So they hit record and simultaneously start talking and saying, hey, you know when that thing happens, blah, 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 blah. This is the difference. I I think you have to see it. Uh, You'll you'll have seen this if you've ever Mm -hmm. watched something, you know, on on TikTok or, okay, Mm -hmm. so this is the Gen Z shake. Right. (laughs) That was it. Do you see it? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. I mean, that was very exaggerated. She's doing it on purpose, but yeah. Yeah, that was. I just think it's so cool how like both hardware and software that improves over time impacts the people that use it, right? Uh, I I thought that was like a very fun phenomenon that like Zoomers are calling millennials like yeah you you just did the millennial pause (laughs) and and we're like what do you mean the millennial pause what what am I doing? I think it is so fascinating (laughs) to see how you know technology impacts culture and and behavior. Uh Are are you going to stop doing the millennial pause or now you're just going to notice it? Do you think I'm the type of person to record selfies and post them to TikTok? (laughs) Do you think I do this? You you guys should see the a bankless TikTok channel. It is nothing. There's nothing going on there because Dave and I suck at this. All right, man. All right, that was my. Uh, Well, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. Now, now I know. Uh, uh, tell me okay. what. What are you bullish on this week? Uh, okay, so I was on the Solana podcast. What? Crazy, right? Yeah. So it's called the Validated Podcast, uh, hosted by Austin uh, Fedra. Uh, I've actually hung out with him a couple times in real life. Um, so we talked about like the differences between Ethereum and Solana, uh, and so I thought that was it was a really cool and what enjoyable were the podcast. What were the um, I I made a big like call to action. I, I like talked about how Bankless came to be. Is a lot of it is about Bankless, right? Um, and how like we are kind of the, the voice of Ethereum. And I was like, yeah, so like the Solana people, the Solana community came into the world of crypto in 2021. They didn't go through the same like upbringing that the Ethereum people had in the last bear market where we were just harassed by Bitcoiners and we had to prove our legitimacy and prove why It's a why generational we're here. difference. It's a generational difference. And they, I, they, so like, they skipped that in my mind. Uh, and so they skipped over the idea of settlement assurances, which Ethereum and Bitcoiners are aligned by. They skipped over the conversations of like what makes a full node and why do you need to have a full node that's easy to manage and easy to run. We skipped they skipped the conversation of what is money. And so like they're coming in and then like the Ethereum people are like, hey, like don't use centralized trains. You pay the gas fees and you'll like it. And like understanding that that's not like a way to onboard new users, uh, yeah. and we just we just went back and forth on like the philosophical differences and like the the upbringings of these communities. I thought it was a really good podcast. Uh, it's actually going to come out on the Bankless RSS feed um, soon, TM, maybe this weekend, uh, and so it will be in your inbox player as well. I asked Austin if we could release it here on Bankless, and so he said yes and sent me the file. So that'll come soon to this podcast player. 
I think um, one thing that I think is true that I'm not sure a lot of people agree with, but uh, I think it's true anyway, is I believe very much that um, Solana is good for Ethereum. Um, I think Solana, the Solana community w- would probably say Ethereum is good for Solana. You know, it sort of came first. Bitcoiners say Ethereum is good contracts. for Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. But I actually think Solana is is good for Ethereum. It's really kept Ethereum mm. on its toes mm. from a user experience perspective, right? Yeah. Um, even like developing uh, wallets like Phantom, which are now coming back to um, coming to Ethereum, right? But mm-hmm. this the prioritization of user onboarding. Um, I mean, <sighs> Ethereum hasn't had that. It's it's been a little bit of what you've said of like you will pay high gas fees and you'll like it and you'll mm-hmm. you'll deal with our like shitty UX and you'll like it. Mm-hmm. And Solana is a bit more like, hey, like we need to onboard people quickly. Yeah. And Ethereum, sometimes Ethereum will be like, but you're cutting corners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but I think there's probably a healthy balance of how can you improve your UX without cutting mm-hmm. those corners. Anyway, I just think that community has made Ethereum sharper as well. Uh, I don't know if everyone agrees with that, but there's a take. Yeah. That's what we do on Bankless. Yeah. It takes all the time. All right, Ryan, what are you, what are you bullish on? I'm bullish on uh, this. This is a tweet from Ryan Berkman's um, on tokenized treasuries. I didn't know this before mm-hmm. I actually read this tweet. Here's a fact sheet. Total value locked from $0 to $200 million in three and a half months. Half a dozen good competitors. The yield on tokenized treasuries, the future of tokenized treasuries right now because interest rates so are so high, 4.75%. You can see this in a Dune Analytics a dashboard. But the idea, David, of tokenized T-bills actually gets me kind of excited. And I'm not the type to be excited by like on-chain real world assets, but like we don't find this type of of yield in DeFi these days, 4.75%. So I think if we can onboard more T-bills on-chain to Ethereum, uh, this is an area of growth for us. I mean, the amount of real world assets that we have on-chain is pretty low and T-bills are like pretty simple. They should be very simple to actually um, de- deploy and and put on chain. And even the idea of um, this, this is in, in Ryan's tweet here. Personally, I hope we'll see a tokenized T-bill with whitelist minting, permissionless uh, trading, secondary one unit equals $1 with rebasing yield. This would be a USDC competitor that passes its yield on to customers, whereas USDC has 100% take rate. So imagine there was a version of USDC in quotes that was instead of dollars, tokenized T-bills gives you that additional 4.75% juice. You actually can't access that as a fungible token in the real world, can you? You can't like go spend T-bills at a store. You have to have dollars, but you should be able to, shouldn't you? And a tokenized T-bill would make that happen. So um, I didn't expect to like be bullish this week on real world assets, let alone (laughs) T-bills, but I'm kind of weirdly bullish on the, the marrying of the two things, uh, and that is why. I mean, crypto people love their yield, right? So it makes sense. Uh, and all, all capital wants to converge, uh, and so capital will find its way naturally to Ethereum as the epicenter, the logical conclusion of where capital will go. Makes sense to me. Have, have I made you bullish on it? On tokenized I'm, all, I'm always bullish on real world assets. You were never assets. not bullish on that. I was right. always bullish on real world assets. Uh, meme of the week, what do we got? Before it was cool. Uh, uh, so it was EdCon uh, this last week. Uh, it, it was the Ethereum develop, like educational co- convention conference. Uh, and last year, 
Uh, so in, in this photo, this is a, uh, how, it's, how it started, how it's going kind of meme. Uh, this is an Instagram account of this man named Mickey, who is probably going to be the prime minister of Montenegro. Elections are in two weeks. Uh, last year, uh, Vital got a Montenegrin passport. And this year at EdCon, he also got this like traditional Montenegrin like garb. <laughs> uh, so I'm not even going to be able to try and explain this for the podcast listeners. No. But the guy is looking, how would you even describe that? I don't know. I, without um, misplacing my cultures here, I, I actually don't yeah. know what this looks like. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so Mickey, <laughs> this is actually a story about Mickey, uh, the incoming potential prime minister of Montenegro. Uh, I don't have time to explain it in this one meme because this is just the meme of the week, but uh, it's bullish. It's very bullish. bullish crypto. It sounds bullish like crypto bullish. And, and making Montenegro like natively a crypto country. Um, so kind of like El Salvador, like official Bitcoin is like the official currency of, of El Salvador that except it makes sense in Montenegro, (laughs) (laughs) kind of like that, but with plans that actually make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that would be bullish if uh, we could get something like that. Um, very good. Well, guys, thank you for uh, being with us on the roll up again this week. Risks and disclaimers, of course, none of this has been financial advice what do we say every week? Crypto is risky. So is Bitcoin. So is Ether. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.